I have to apologize because in my weekly email, I told you that we we're going to be wrapping up James today, and we're not. <laughs> we're, if you were really digging James, then you're happy that I got two more, I think, after this, and then, then we'll be done. But I thought, I thought looking at James chapter five, oh yeah, I can handle all that in one. No, no, we're not going to do that. We were, my family and I were in Orlando for the Foursquare Convention and, um, and several days before that to lead worship for the chaplains, the Foursquare Chaplains gathering and training. And that was a whole bunch of fun. We had just, just tons of fun. Um, I had uh, Gerald, uh, who was playing guitar with us today. He was, he was part of the team there and, and our friend Ashish. Uh, was on percussion, and my daughter Ariella was singing uh, with us, and so that was just, it was fun. Chaplains, I don't know, um, I mean, my mom's a chaplain, uh, so, so you know, I, I kind of had a good impression of what they might be like, but chaplains are like, they're like pastors without the ego. That's how I would describe them. Past, like they've got all the education, they, they've got the training, they work with people, they've got the heart of a pastor, and they don't have to have any style. Like as far as like, like a church style, right? Not like that. <laughs> they, were, they all looked fine. She does have more style than me. Um. Chaplains are really easy to, to work with and, and get along with. And, um, and so for several years, I've gotten to do the worship for their training. And it's just, it's a blast. It's a blast. So this time, um, different team. And Ariella got to sing with us. And uh, one of my favorite moments as a dad, she's in the front row groaning because I'm telling her story right now. Um, we had a Sunday morning church service, and it's tradition for the Foursquare president to be there to give a greeting, and the Foursquare national uh, general supervisor to bring the message. And so those those two. So as far as Foursquare goes, these are the big wigs, like these are the the, the big names. And so Ra- President Randy Remington was there. We did one song, and then he got up to give a greeting, and and he he goes over to Gerald and, and whispers in his ear. And then he gets up front, and he was just like, wow, you guys, that was amazing. He turns around to the worship team, and we're having such a great time. And then he looks at Ariel, and he's like, and you, Ariella, is that your name? Are you, you're 12? What's going on? This is amazing. So, so my daughter got called out by the Foursquare president. That was kind of fun. But. So it's fitting that she was on team today again. But, um. Florida is hot and humid, and uh, as I said in the in the email, that was good for our souls. It it was nourishment to us, uh, Western Washingtonians. Um, and and the conference itself was very good. Um, I'm I'm taking a few minutes to talk about this because we are a four square church. This is this is who we are, and this was our national convention. So there's the business side of it. Uh, where where we vote on ratifying board members or um, or bylaw changes and that kind of stuff. So we we did that, um, and then there's amazing speakers and worship time together, and and all of this was was really good. The part that you will likely hear about in the near future is the business sessions. Uh, many times those can be really boring compared to the rest of the conference because nobody, <laughs> when you're there to hear amazing speakers and, and, and worship, you're not really, you know, it, it, it's like a formality to, you know, fill out the balance and stuff. But 
This year was a little different because um, the the issue that we were talking about was very, um, it was a heavy issue. It was a heavy issue. We were talking about um, leadership abuse and leadership abuse. And this was brought because there was a specific instance uh, a couple years ago that, that had just gone through a process and an and a, uh, investigation, and that was brought to Foursquare. And then it all kind of came public right before convention. And so they just made that their, their uh, topic of conversation. Most of us have experienced some form of leadership abuse, um, some more than others. And some of our stories are really, really crazy. And it was no different in this gathering. It was this, the conversation was because of one situation, but as, as it went on and the, the mics for the, for the convention body, for people to talk, uh, the stories that were coming out, the, the details and the, and the craziness. Look, Foursquare is full of people. And pe- what's the old Muppet movie line? Peoples is peoples. Peoples is peoples. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we saw as, as people responded emotionally to the situation that was brought um, was it, it felt a lot like the political situation after our school shooting in Texas, where everybody was just like, we've got to do something. We've got to do something now. And that's, that's the feeling, right? And so... You know, sometimes you don't make good decisions when you're emotional, and and you feel better if you do something. But is the thing that you're doing actually going to solve any problems? Is it actually going to address the thing that we need to fix? And and so so going back and forth, and you had people with cooler heads saying, "Now hold on a second, you can't do that." And then somebody else on the mic over here saying, "If you don't vote for this, you know, you're." It's like, "Oh, okay, all right, all right." So it got wild. It got wild. But in the end, um. I do believe that we are in a very good place. And we were led very well through this process. Um, President Randy Remington and the board and our moderator um, uh, really, really did a good job taking us through this. It ended in a time of corporate repentance with Randy and the board kneeling on the stage um, and, and an extended time of prayer and repentance before the Lord. Lord, help us address the, the culture of leadership that has slipped a little bit, that has slipped. And we've allowed some things to happen and we need to, we need to fix some things. And so to be in that place before the Lord and say, we need your wisdom, we need you to help us fix this, um, was a, a very good ending to this conversation. Um, so we'll probably see some things from district, at least I will, uh, Merrick will, and, and we'll be seeing some things just as far as um, accountabilities and, and, uh, and guidance and training and that kind of stuff. So um, good things, good developments, and that was kind of the, the main reverberating issue around the convention. Um, but... Worship was fantastic. There was a band out of Hawaii, a worship team out of Hawaii uh, that, that led a Zeo, I think their name is, and they were really, really good, really spirit-led. Um, I was talking to Patty on, on Wednesday, and I was saying, and there was no smoke. If you know Patty, she does not like smoke. It just it kills her eyes immediately, and just like there was no smoke or haze, and the, the lights were tamed relatively. But man, the Holy Spirit was there. How many know you don't need smoke and lights for the Holy Spirit to show up? Um, 
it was, it was a very good time. And we came back uh, refreshed, and, and then last week we were with some friends in Snohomish last weekend, and now we are back. So two weeks ago on Sunday, um, my dad, Harley, brought the word, and he talked about the different ways that God moves and how we receive from him and not putting him in a box. And then last week, my mom, Julie, see how I did that with the lineup there? That was um, pretty good. And then uh, she taught on what it takes to be closer to God and walk with him in a closer way. And today, I'm back in James. We are back in James. So if you got your Bible or your device with your Bible app, open that up to James chapter 5. James here is where we're going to be reading in uh, verses 11, uh, 7 through 11. He has just finished excoriating the wealthy and the powerful people, um, probably not believers, these ones that he's really railing on, that were acting unjustly and making life difficult for the believers that he was really writing to. He's, he's just finished this up in the first part of chapter 5. And in verse 7, he, he shifts back to the believers with instructions for how they should behave in light of what the rich and powerful people were doing. And so we'll pick it up in verse 7, but I'm going to pray first. Lord, we come before your word to be taught, to be instructed. Would you open the eyes of our heart and our understanding to to see what you're saying to us, Lord? What's the eternal truth that you want to embed in our soul today? We're not coming with our preconceived ideas or just because maybe we've read this before, we think we understand it. Lord, we, we open ourselves to be taught. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse seven, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophet's who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We see in this context, that there was a reason for them to be upset. There was a reason for the believers to, to be unhappy with their situation. And, uh, and it required patience for them to do well in that situation. So James says to be patient. It's always easy to say that, isn't it? It's like, right, have you told your two-year-old, be patient? How did that go? Right? Yeah, yeah. It, maybe not as smoothly as it should have. But this starts, the first word in this says, therefore. 
Therefore, be patient. Therefore is a conjunction word, and it's connecting this thought, this passage, to what was coming before. So it's saying, in light of what the, the rich and powerful people are, are doing, the ways that they're abusing you, the, the ways that they're dragging you into court, the, the way that they're not paying fair wages or, or whatever the political setup might have been in that setting, because of that, you need to be patient. I think it's awesome that he says, be patient. That's the thing he said to do. He didn't say, take up arms. He didn't, he didn't say, uh, you guys need to organize and have a protest. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't say that, that you should be vindictive. He said, be patient. Be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. Because that will be a better thing. How many know we've got some things that, that we can get upset about now? You know, and maybe it's not all just rich and powerful people that are oppressing us. And, and, but we've still got things that we could be upset about, things that, that we can feel are unjust. And maybe they just, it's not even a feeling. That's just straight up unjust. Uh, and to us today, James is also saying, be patient. Wait for the coming of the Lord. In the face of these hard things, you can do well, you can endure, you're going to need patience, and I'm telling you to be patient. Now, Jesus told us we'd have trouble in this world. He said we'd be mistreated. He said we'd be handed over to the authorities to be prosecuted for his namesake. He told us that would happen. Unfortunately, we have a really fine-tuned sense of justice, right? We know when something's not right, and we feel very strongly when we have been slighted or when things were not just right. The things we see and experience don't meet that criteria for perfect justice. How many times just in this last week have you shook your head and said to yourself, that's not right, that's not right. Second Corinthians 5, 2 says, Indeed, in this house, talking about our bodies, in this world, in this life, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We long to be in that kingdom that is coming, but not, not this one. We don't, we don't really care for this one so much. So we groan. And James, in this passage, gives us a clear warning. He says, don't complain against one another, so you won't be judged. Don't complain. Complain means to sigh, to murmur, to groan, to fervently desire relief from this situation that I'm in. And it also has notes of wishing for the downfall of the ones that are causing your misery. The ones who are causing your suffering it's that, that feeling of, oh, get me out of this and bring complete justice to, to these people. I wish they would get what they deserved. That kind of complaining. James 1 uh, verse 20, a couple chapters back, says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So James has already cautioned us on being angry. And then there's this phrase against one another, against one another. And when you first read that, I was thinking like within the church, don't complain against each other in, in the church, you know, get, get along. He's to, one another means uh, 
with reciprocity. Oh gosh, I can't say this word. Yes, reciprocity. It's a reciprocal idea. It's the idea of, of this is the way we relate to each other and this is the people that I'm upset about and the way that they feel about me and the way that we interact with people. It is the way of the world to feel this way about each other. When you're not governed by the laws of God, you, you are all out for yourself, right? Looking out for number one. And, and anybody that steps on your toes or gets in your way, this is the way you're going to feel about them. The idea is that the feeling of anger at someone for perpetrating an in, a perceived injustice, it becomes a normal way that we can see and feel about each other. And boy, this we can see in the world around us and probably in our own lives at times. This is the normal way that we see each other and feel about each other. It's kind of encapsulated in this phrase, complaining against one another. Matthew 24, 10 says, at that time, this is Jesus talking, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. This is a condition of the world. It just is. And, but it should not be that of the church. And so James is talking to the believers. He says, don't do, don't do this thing. Don't, don't treat each other like this. Don't feel this way about each other or about the people around you. In fact, Jesus takes it a step further and says, pray for your enemies and bless those who curse you. Don't complain. We don't want to allow this to become our standard mode of operation. Why? Why not? James gives us a good why on this one too. He says, because you don't want to be judged. <laughs> don't, don't do this because, because when you're doing that, you're putting yourself again in the seat of judge. And that's like the quickest way to get the real judge's attention, right? The judge is at the door. He's close, and he will start with you, not the people that you're upset about. If you spend your time and your energy begrudging other people and wishing for their downfall, you will be held accountable for every idle word and the use of the time and the resources you had. Remember, there's only one judge, and you're not it. Okay, so James tells us what not to do. He said, don't complain, don't, don't begrudge people, but be patient. So he tells us what we should do. And, and he didn't really use a whole lot of words to describe this. He gives some examples, but he just says, be patient. Okay, now the question that's on everybody's mind, should I pray for patience? This is kind of a joke in Christian circles. Don't ever pray for patience. Don't ever do that because why? Because when you ask the Lord to work something in your heart, he's going to put you in situations that cause you to grow in that. But how many know, I mean, in reality, when you pray for patience, what's inspiring that prayer? That you need patience. You're already in a situation that you need patience. 
So you're praying and you're asking God, oh God, give me patience. I'm gonna hurt somebody here. I need patience, Lord. I need you to calm me down. I need to, to deal with this in a right way. Give me your heart. Oh man, how many times have you go, go through this process where you're, you're angry? God, give me, give me your heart for this person. Give me your heart for this situation. I wanna see things the way you do. Calm me down. Give me patience, God. Give me patience. The process of growing in patience is slow and usually excruciating. We only ask God for it when we're aware of our need for it. Why would you ask him for it if you didn't think you needed it? We're already going through something that's trying our patience. But we know that we want to be like Jesus, and Jesus is like the Father who is slow to anger, abounding in love, compassionate and merciful. Okay, be patient. This passage uses patience as a noun and be patient as a verb. The verb is to persevere patiently, to bravely continue in enduring misfortunes, and troubles. But it's also in connection to the things that you're hoping for and waiting for on the other side. Being patient through this temporary thing, which really stinks because something better is coming. Now the noun, patience, is, is endurance. <laughs> the young man has endurance. Come on. Consistency, steadfastness, perseverance, especially as shown in bearing troubles and ills. So James says, don't complain. Don't get ticked at people. Instead, be patient. Another, another way to see this word uh, uh, patient and, and endurance. Endurance um, in First Corinthians thirteen, we see that love endures all things. It's a very similar word. And enduring is is the image is a support beam in a house that holds up the roof of this house, and it bears up under that weight and continues to bear up under that weight. That's the reason it's there. It's to bear up under is that word endurance. To not give up. That weight never leaves. The roof is always there. It's part of the structure. It's part of the way it's built with endurance and patience. James says to be patient for the coming of the Lord until the coming of the Lord. He says, establish your heart and your mind in the hope that Jesus is returning. He is returning. This word that that he uses for the coming of the Lord is parousia. And that's just fun to say. So I I don't say a lot of Greek words, but that that was one that I could say, and that's fun. So the coming coming of the Lord, the presence of one coming, it was used... um, uh, in reference to kings coming to town. You know, if Caesar was visiting or if a local governor was visiting, it was the coming, the advent and uh, the parousia, 
right? So, but this specifically is about the return of Jesus, our Messiah, the return of our Savior. He's coming, he's coming to raise the dead. He's coming to hold the last judgment. He's coming to set up uh, formally the glorious kingdom of God. That thing that we hope for, he's coming to do that. He's coming to bring all the judgment. He's coming to bring all the mercy, and it will all be right. It will be righteous. We can have patience now going through the crud that we got to go through, going through any abuse that we have to go through, because Jesus is coming, and it will be made right. Establish your heart and your mind in the hope that Jesus is returning. Don't let things get you down. Don't let things um, distract you and pull you away from that hope that Jesus is coming. He says, have patience. Have patience. Be patient while you are in this world and suffering its troubles. We can do this because his return is imminent. When he wrote this, the expectation was that he was, and we see the word in here, soon. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming back for us. He said he was coming back. He's coming back. His return is imminent. We're not waiting for a man-made kingdom. We're not waiting for power to come the way that we're used to thinking about power and seeing power used in man's way, it's going to be really different. It's going to be way different. One of the speakers at conference, um, her name was Danielle Strickland, and um, she, she mentioned something that really just stuck with me. It's one of those profound thoughts that just kind of rolls over and over in my mind. Um, and every time I think about it, it gets a little bit bigger. But she said that, that God is as different from as he is higher than the powers of this world. God is as different from as he is higher than the powers of this world. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about leadership, he says, the Gentiles, they, they lord it over you. Right? They, they, have, they have power over you, and they use that power. You know what power is because it's the power to enforce my will on somebody else. But not so with you, he said. The, the first in the kingdom, the leaders, should be the servant of all, blowing their paradigms out of the water. I'm sure it wasn't until after Pentecost that they even had a clue what he was talking about. We are very familiar with power. We know what power looks like. We know what abuse of power looks like. We know how, how it gets used in our world, and, and God doesn't operate like that. The illustration would be the, the burning bush, the fire that is, that is burning in this bush, and yet the bush is not consumed. It's a different kind of power. It doesn't work the way that you think power works. God is as different from as he is higher than. There is no doubt that he is the power above all powers. He is the king above all kings. He is the creating God of the universe. But it's not the way we see it in human terms. It's going to be way different, and he's coming. 
This different power, this different sense of mercy and justice is coming and there will be righteousness. And this is where our hope is. This is where our our trust lies. And this is why we can be patient in troubles. He's got no troubles, that man. Then James gives us some examples in this passage, three different examples. The first is the farmer. The farmer, the farmer, the one whose very purpose it is to obtain produce from the ground. That's why he exists. That's what his job is, to get things to grow out of the ground, have a harvest, and feed it to people. He works hard. He labors under the hot sun. He shows diligence and faithfulness and consistency. He understands delayed gratification. Our world does not understand that very well. James uses the phrase, the early and the late rains. There, of course, were different seasons, and in that, in that part of the Middle East, there's, there's two different rainy seasons that happen, and both of them are necessary for the completion of a crop to grow. And the crop is not done growing until after the later rains. James is saying there's full and appropriate time for harvest. Patience will take you through all of the seasons. Patience will take you all the way to the harvest. And it's worth the wait. He calls the produce precious. Through the seasons of growth, through the dreary rains, they actually help produce the produce. Now, if the farmer gets impatient and he harvests before it's time, he will not get the full harvest. He might not get anything. He might just have a lot of hay. And if it's way too soon, he'll, he'll just get a little bit of the satisfaction, if any, that he's looking for. I like to, to garden. I wouldn't say I'm a farmer, but I like to garden. Um we'll talk later about moles because right now I'm, I'm in war mode. I'm like zero patience or tolerance with moles right now. There is all sorts of killing things in my backyard to kill moles right now. Um, I'm out for blood. Um, I tried repelling them and yeah, I know patience. See, this is, this is why you pray for patience. Um, a couple years ago, I, I had nice, neat rows of, of little tiny seedlings growing. I had carrots and radishes, and, and uh, I think I had lettuce and spinach beyond that. And if, if I'm looking at it from this angle, I had carrots, radishes, all right. And, and they're, they're like, you know, that tall, and you're, you're growing. And then, and, then, and then they get a little bit bigger, and they get a little bit bigger. And the anticipation is growing, right? But you know they're not ready yet. You can't pick them right now. They're just like little threads of roots, and they're, and they're not going to... I have a daughter that loves carrots and radishes. She's up in class right now. Adeline, she's eight years old now. She will, even in this garden up here, if given permission, she will just eat the radishes like they're apples. She, just, she will just... She loves that. She's never hungry for dinner because she's been out in the garden. She's been eating my garden. One day, I came by the garden and saw that most of my carrots were wilted, just completely wilted. 
couldn't figure it out. And I, and I pulled, pulled one up, a test one, and it was bent in a J shape. And it took me a while to figure it out. But what had happened was my Adeline had gotten impatient. And she had picked them all to see if they were ready. And then put them back when they weren't. That's not how carrots work. You can't pull it. You can't, you can't pull it and then put it back. So they were all, they all died. They were all dead. And um, that can happen when we get impatient. When we try and accomplish things in our way, taking matters into our own hands instead of allowing God and waiting and putting our trust in him. The farmer teaches us to wait through the seasons because the harvest is coming. The carrots are growing. James also talks about the prophets of old. Most of the prophets that we know and that they knew then uh, were not treated well. And many died at the hands of their enemies and persecutors. Hebrews 11.37 says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Yet, they stayed true to God's word. In fact, the reason they're in that portion of Hebrews is, is an example of faithfulness, an example of faith and trust in God. They stayed true to God and his word. And they were considered by the Jews and the, and the believers to be blessed because they had endured. They were blessed. They were happy. In other words, their reward for having endured was greater than what it would have been if they had given up and done what it took to seek relief in the moment. They were blessed because their reward was greater. Remember that the Lord is a judge and he's completely just. Vengeance is his. And he will do a much better job than you. The prophets teach us to stay true to God and to keep our focus even when we're treated poorly by the people around us and to never take vengeance into your own hands. That was the second example James gives. And then the third example is Job. Job, even if you've never read the book of Job, you know the story of Job. Uh, he lost everything. He lost everything. Foreign and heathen people took his servants and goods and slaughtered, slaughtered his other servants. The one that brings him the news says, I alone survived. His children were lost to tragedy. And Job was not perfect. No, most of the book is him complaining and, and, and griping and groaning and, and defending his righteousness. His approach to God wasn't necessarily correct. He spent a long time laying out his case to the Lord and debating with his friends. You could say he was processing the tragedy. Yet God was gracious with him anyways, and he restores him in the end. James says that we can see the outcome of God's dealings. The outcome of the way that God will deal with you is he is full of compassion and he is merciful. 
It's the nature and the character of God that Job ultimately trusts. Job teaches us to be patient through tragedy. God is righteous and will make things right in his timing. Okay. He's given us examples, and James has given us a clear directive to be patient. Be patient. Why should we be patient? Because our hope is in one whose character can be trusted. Therefore, the outcome of his coming back to reign can be trusted. Because we know who he is, because scripture has revealed to us who he is, we know we can trust his character, and when he comes back, it will be good, and it will be better than if we tried to make it happen now. So we will be patient. We will be patient. If we lose our hope and take things into our own hands, we will forfeit the reward that is coming. We will try to harvest prematurely and get nothing for it. So what are we waiting for? The return of the Lord. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for the fullness of the harvest. He's waiting for every heart that will turn to him to turn. Scripture says that he is not willing that any should perish. Aren't you grateful that he waited as long as he has already? The outcome, the final product, the conclusion, the end completion that we are waiting for is the Lord's because he is full of compassion and is merciful. He's extremely compassionate and very tenderhearted. Another way to say those words. The outcome of the Lord's dealings are merciful and compassionate for you and your life, but also for the others that he's waiting for. He wants to show his mercy and compassion to them as well. So when you are frustrated and fed up with the problems of life, the injustices, the tragedies, the persecution, that's normal. That's normal. But James says, be patient. Be patient. Bear your afflictions without your murmuring. Bear your injuries without revenge. And Though God may not come back for you immediately, wait for him. He said he would come back, and he doesn't lie. You can trust him and wait patiently for him. Our patience will result in something better than vengeance and better than human justice. We'll receive our reward from God. Amen? Amen. James says, be patient. And... Now is where we pray for patience. Because <laughs> you're going, oh, I need patience. I need it. I need patience. I am an impatient person. I need patience. And so we come to the Father and we ask for patience. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, help us. We're not afraid to ask you for patience today. Lord, because we are already in a place where we need it. Lord, would you teach us to trust you more and place our hope in your character and in your return? Don't let us get distracted by 
by our passions, by our anger, by our desire for justice now. Keep our hope and our trust in you and your return. King Jesus, when you come, when you rule the world, it will be very different. And you will restore complete and true justice. At the same time, your mercy and compassion will cover us as something we don't fully understand. It's something we have a hard time grasping because it's so different than the way we're used to seeing things. But we trust you and we trust your character, Lord. And as James is encouraging us to be patient, we respond and say, increase our patience, Lord. We know you hear us and we know you answer us. Lord, give us patience. Give us perspective. In Jesus' name. Amen.